Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast fueled by Elfmark VDS Racing. We're looking back at uh, the Dutch TT for Masson. Steve English, David Emmett, Adam Wheeler and Neil Morrison on the pod today. And guys, it was quite an interesting weekend in the Netherlands. David, obviously a home round for you, but uh, we saw once again, Aston just produced great racing across all three classes, but especially Moto3 was a really interesting race, very different to what we've had through the course this season. And then in Moto2, we obviously had the top four guys just breaking away and really showing their their class. Yeah, exactly. It was funny for um, uh, for it to be a home race for me uh, for me to actually do from my own home uh, instead of going up to Aston. Even though I popped up to see Neil and uh, uh, Cormac and a few other guys there uh, earlier, so that was good. Yeah, I mean the, the Moto Three race I really enjoyed because it was a proper race. The best riders came out on top, um, and yeah, Moto Two. I think we can. It's fair to say there's a pattern emerging. And Neil, you're actually just still traveling back from the Netherlands, but uh, it's a little bit windy where you are. So we're going to make an apology right at the top of the show for that. But uh, this was a really interesting Moto2 race again and a weekend that was filled with quite a lot of intrigue as well. Obviously, a lot of rider talk for next season. Raul Fernandez, what's he going to do? Well, he just went out and won the race. But there was four riders really that could have gone either way. Yeah, there was a lot of speculation about... um... Uh, Maverick Pinales over the weekend, obviously, but I think just probably as much speculation about uh, Ralph Fernandez's future. Um, he just demonstrated once again why he's, uh, you know, one of the most sought-after riders in the world at the moment. And um, yeah, I mean, his words with regards to next year still leave something to be desired. Just I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen, but all sort of uh, reports indicate that he's on his way to MotoGP next to the KTM. Um, so yeah. Something we'll have to keep our eye on. Neil's obviously in the wind. I'm at uh, Donington Park for World Superbikes this week. And Adam, you're back at home once again. But it's interesting whenever you look at that talent pipeline that KTM are developing. And uh, Fernandez, obviously, at the top of that. Pedro Acosta, again, another really impressive weekend for Acosta from the hospital, able to have a really good performance on Sunday. It just looks like KTM are at that point where, once again, they've just got too much talent really coming through. Steve, you just lined me up for a shameless plug for a feature in, in the latest uh, issue of On Track Off Road. So thanks very much for that. Um, it's almost like all this is planned out in advance, Ed. Oh, I know. It's unbelievable. The improvisation, you know, the skill, uh, you know, the seamless glide between subjects is quite admirable on this podcast. But uh, no, no, no. It's, you know, like I said, um, it's been a busy week in between British Grand Prix, um, off tomorrow to Italy for the Italian Grand Prix. And um, yeah, it's, you know, it was nice to be able to write that story uh, in the magazine online this week, just about how KTM are forging you know, this structure inside MotoGP and road racing, which we talked about before on the podcast. But, um, you know, the other point of view was from Johan Stigerfeld, obviously like the team principal or team director, I should say, from Patronus um, and the different plates that he has to spin across the categories. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not too sure if Patronus have actually signed or renewed their deal with Yamaha yet. I mean, Yamaha, as we've spoken about before, is just a manufacturer kind of in some sort of whirlwind at the moment when it comes to management of their riders and, and their staff and, and their machinery and whatever else. Um, but it was good to hear Stiggy talk about how, you know, uh, he likes to look at the, the talent a little bit further into their careers in Moto3 and Moto2 as opposed to picking them up in the Junior World Championship or Red Bull Rookies. Um, you know, so you have kind of two perspectives there. Uh, and also, you know, the roles of Alberto Puget Honda and what he's done with various uh, selection schemes over the years, as well as Aki Ayo, who, uh, like we've mentioned before, is causing some um, palpitations amongst the KTM accounting department because the amount of bonus money that, you know, he's picking up for him and his riders this year is, is phenomenal. 
Uh, yeah, just to jump in on uh, Yamaha, what I understand is that it hasn't been, uh, well, the contracts haven't been signed, but everything's been agreed in principle. So, I mean, there's no question of Petronas not continuing with Yamaha. Do you have faith in Yamaha's decision making at the moment? I mean, uh, whether it's, you know, it all lies at the foot of, you know, the feet of Lynn Jarvis or, you know, there's some kind of a Suzuki type committee responsible for selecting and handling how Yamaha are appointing riders and dealing with them. It doesn't look particularly uh, confidence inspiring. Yeah, but I mean, the bike, the, you know, the bike is leading the championship. So like, who cares? Just uh, give me the bikes and we'll get on with it. Adam, just to ask you a quick question about KTM specifically. Obviously, in motocross, supercross, all that, we've tended to see KTM develop their riders, have that same pipeline. This does seem like something that's just in the ethos of the company. Yeah, that's right, Steve. I mean, uh, motocross is is lucky to have a structure that moves up from, you know, kids racing from 65s, 85s, European Championship, 125s, also bouncing around a different technology, two-stroke into four-stroke. Uh, in the case of Jorge Prado is, um, you know, uh, he's the double MX2 world champion and, the, you know, the current sort of mark, mark as you could say, of MXGP. I mean, he's still 21 years old and, you know, there's a lot of world championships ahead for this guy. But he was somebody that was supported by KTM as a junior, uh, even from the age of 12. Uh, he was given equipment, you know, he was inserted into uh, kind of um, factory supported schemes in terms of training, um, technical maintenance. He had his own mechanics paid for by the company uh, so he was nurtured from an early age and it was clear that he had the technical ability to make the difference and if KTM are doing the same sort of thing with somebody like Pedro Acosta where they're not only trying to see you know can this kid does he have the speed or does he have the technique but also does he have the mentality to be able to handle the pressure of being in Grand Prix and dealing with sponsors that are a higher level compared to motocross then this is where you know they're having some success. David just to Kind of moving on a little bit, I want to just ask you from a MotoGP perspective what we're seeing within uh, the Moto2 class right now. Because obviously, Raul Fernandez over the weekend, he went from being a dead on certainly to signing with KTM for next year to go on to the Tectoire bike to then suddenly being, oh, he's, he's going to stay in Moto2 to then suddenly being a potential Yamaha rider and being bought out of his contract. Like, where do you see it right now for the likes of Fernandez and Bezeki? They're two riders that are expected to step up, along with obviously Remy Gardner, who's leading the championship and has signed his contract for next year. Yeah, I mean, uh, Fernandez is a mystery, and we're right in the middle of the uh, uh, of lying season for team managers uh, right now. So, and riders, uh, absolutely, everyone is is saying all sorts of things because they don't want to show their hands, and so. Uh, uh, you know, even the stuff that's coming out is not necessarily an accurate reflection of the truth. I'm just showing my hands now, Dave, just on the video call, just so that you can see that I'm not going to lie to you. No, no, I would, I would trust you with my life, Stephen English. Um, uh, no, but so they are except the, for in a rental car, Dave. Except in a rental car, no, yes, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, basically, we don't know what's going to happen with Fernandez. It seems likely that he will move up. The question is whether Yamaha buy him out or not. Um, and uh, Bezeki, I mean, like Bezeki looked at the. Early in the season, he looked like a dead cert to go up to MotoGP. He will probably still go up to MotoGP because he's the only VR46 rider sort of who uh, has a shot at it. Um, but he's not really... I mean, he's once again at, uh, at Assen, he was... Uh, well, yeah, he's fifth. He's he's the, the other guy behind the leaders um, uh, right now. And so he's not... Uh, not that he's not earning it. It's just, you know, he, he needs to show a bit more. I was saying, you know, of the riders that 
there's nobody kind of really shining apart from the AO boys. I mean, Gardner's already confirmed. Digier as well has got the contract for doing a good job of, you know, uh, flattering to deceive. What about, you know, somebody like, you know, Augustin Fernandez? I mean, do you think, you know, he is on the precipice of, of warranting maybe some MotoGP attention or is, is he not there yet? Well, for Augusta, we've been able to see a big step forward over the last few rounds, changed his crew chief and has made good progress. We saw him really competitive all the way through the Aston weekend. He was fast in Saxon ring as well. But I think for him, it's definitely a case of trying to be able to build up that consistency and really continue to improve on that. I actually think one of the interesting ones is that obviously for Patronus, we've heard a lot of talk of Jake Dixon being pushed up. BT want to have a British rider. Dorna want to have a British rider. And, you know, whenever you look at it and you see the results that we've seen from Sam Lowe's over the last 18 months. And you think, you know what, there is a British rider that warrants being talked about. And it's not Jake Dixon at the minute. You know, Jake's had some good results. He's had some good race weekends, but uh, you'd certainly look at it and think there's one rider that probably warrants talk even regardless of the passport. Yeah, I would agree with that, Steve. I mean, it's just a question of whether the, the factories or, you know, the, the manufacturers and the teams for sure will look at Sam again and think, well, you know, we know you came up with Aprilia and it was an uncompetitive package at the time, but can we trust you to, you know, contribute and develop the machinery that you're going to have? Um, just to quickly bounce off, off on a tangent at the moment, I wanted to ask Neil, um, because you know, we saw with Maverick, Vinales and his situation you know he was giving mixed messages during the press conference and he he was probably contractually only able to say so much about what he could do for next year but with what Fernandez is saying in public what was your impression of you know do you think a MotoGP move is really on the cards or is he just uh you know throwing people off the scent I mean for my two pennies worth I, I can't see him in MotoGP next year I, I I think he might just do another year in Moto2. I would say it's, it's quite difficult to know Adam, um, I mean, Raul was saying over the weekend that he's 99% sure to stay in Model 2. Um, but there was a caveat there. He was asked, you know, what does the other 1% depend on? And he said, well, I'm going to be speaking with KTM bosses over the summer. Um, so that could change. Um, he certainly seems to be intent on staying in Model 2, but KTM might have other ideas. I mean, he is at, at the kind of stage now where you think, well, He's challenging for the championship this year. He's winning races and he's winning them really well, really comfortably. What's the point in him sticking around for another year? Get him up and get him used to MotoGP machinery as soon as possible. And certainly speaking to one or two journalists that you would uh, you would trust uh, that would have decent links with KTM or maybe with uh, Tech Three. Um, you know, they were off the impression that it's it's, it's a done deal um, to take on to Tech Three next year. So, um, yeah, I would say I'd put money on it. But, yeah, you'll probably be able to be next year, but um, lots of mixed messages. Yeah, apologies for, for Neil's audio. As you said, he's on the move at the minute, so just having to dial into the Zoom call a bit like myself. But uh, obviously enough, Neil, it is one of those situations where there's 1% chance, according to Fernandez, but an awful lot of these Moto2 contracts do have a clause in them to be able to allow you to get bought out to have an opportunity to move up to MotoGP. It'd be interesting to see if Fernandez has that, considering KTM obviously want to bring him through. So it'd be interesting to see how that kind of progresses for him. Yeah, and another thing that you kind of hear through the grapevine is that KTM would be, well, I mean, if they lost Fernandez, it would be an absolute catastrophe. You know, they really value him extremely highly. And yes, they've got a, an extraordinary, you know, talent pipeline with, um, you know, a couple of other interesting names that could be in MotoGP soon. But from what you hear, if they lost Fernandez, they're basically doing everything they can to make sure that Fernandez stays with them, either in MotoGP or MotoGP next year, for sure. So, um, you know, the, the, the thought of Yamaha 
approaching him, I think, is maybe a bit far-fetched. One also incentive for keeping Ralph Fernandez, you know, in the KTM stable is to elevate him quickly to MotoGP because if that's what he's hankering after, that's what he wants, then it's one way of satisfying that kind of, uh, you know, wish. Um, you know, I was talking about Jorge Prado before and he was kind of unique in MHGP for having a, a long-term contract with KTM. I think the final year might might be next year. I'm, I'm a little bit hazy on the numbers, but... He signed a long-term contract. I think it was five years. And the reason it was kind of different to what we'd seen before is that it was completely free of any other obligation. I mean, he was he couldn't commit to any clothing or any helmet or any kind of goggle deal. He, he was completely flexible. So if KTM wanted him to ride in one particular team that had a you know associated clothing deal with, say, Alpine Stars, then he would have to move and absorb that part of the contract as well. So he was completely signed to the, to the KTM stable. And, you know, if he wanted to race in AMA Supercross, then the same thing. He had that flexibility where he could bounce around any of the KTM teams, you know, in off-road. Uh, so, you know, you think, you know, maybe Fernandez, you know, th the last thing KTM want to do is lose him to Yamaha by him being bought out of his contract or, you know, keep him only for another two seasons, by which point he may have progressed sufficiently inside MotoGP where he's the next Juan Mir. Uh, so, you know, maybe elevating him quickly for 2022 on one year plus another two would be would be the solution there. The the, the problem is, of course, that uh, Brad Binner has got a contract through 2024. Uh, KTM really want to hang, uh, hang on to Miguel Oliveira. Uh, the, if Fernandez goes up, he's going to want to have a, a pathway to the, uh, to the factory team, at least, and there isn't one right now. Obviously, enough, Adam, one of the other interesting elements of it, we mentioned Sam Lowe's there earlier, but I think what is quite interesting is that in the past, Yamaha were actually quite interested in him. If you think back to whenever he was on the speed-up bike in 2014, 2015, it was a case of Tech Trois and Hervé Poncheral being very interested in him. Yamaha thought that a Supersport World Champion for them, it was a good prospect. And now that you've got the Patronus team there, there's a good link as well with Wilco Zielenberg and a lot of team personnel as well. Like It does, it does look like it could align, but Obviously enough, you'd expect to see Sam stay on in Moto2 for next year. It'd be a big surprise if he doesn't stay with the VDS team. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. The connection he has there. I mean, one thing I kind of asked some of the people in this story about filtering talent through to MotoGP was how much of a political role or importance does nationality play? Um, you know, and while both, you know, KTM and, you know, Patronus said, you know, performance comes first. You know, they also admitted that if a Malaysian rider is showing enough potential, then they want to promote Malaysian talent into in Patronus. And the same for KTM with Austrian or Germanic. Uh, that's one reason why they're supporting the Austrian Talent Cup this year, which is running in the national series and will appear alongside MotoGP at the Red Bull ring for the first time. Uh, so, you know, uh, Sam, you would have to say if BT Sport is one of Dorna's largest uh, kind of customers when it comes to the TV deal, they have to have some sort of sway, especially if it's going to come up to a renegotiation in a year or two. Um, having a British rider in there might be key as it's worked for other markets and other broadcasters we've seen. So, um, But, you know, Lowe's is, is clearly happy at VDS. I mean, he's arguably shown his best form, his best speed, best potential in Moto2 yet uh, in that structure. So, the other argument is why would he want to move? Of course, you know, he might want another crack at MotoGP, but then, you know, if you're that close to success, which is what all riders want, then, you know, uh, why change things? Yeah, I, I've never talked to Sam about, about it recently, but I remember talking to him in the past and he always said he wanted the opportunity to be on you know, a, a real MotoGP project. The Aprilia situation was 
the toughest year he's ever had in his career and he wants something to be able to show what he can do but he also doesn't want to just jump into anything David and it's a case of trying to find if you if you do make that move again it has to be for two years the right opportunity the right people around you and then you wait and see what happens what I'm quite interested to see is what happens with Yamaha in general with this situation because they're a very different situation to KTM they've got all of the the riders in KTM are contracted to KTM whereas Yamaha obviously they're in a situation where they don't have that immediate type uh talent pipeline even you look at Franco Morbidelli in all likelihood going to be on the factory bike next year they actually have to pay out his contract with Petronas to put him onto their factory bike and this is after a situation where you know Frankie obviously last year earned a lot of money Adam was talking about it earlier on about how much the bonus system for the IO squad is costing Frankie cost Petronas a fortune last year in bonus money and I think for Yamaha they're definitely going to be in that position where they want to make sure that whoever's on their bikes going forward is a factory contracted rider uh yes yeah yeah i mean you're saying this is a trend anyway i think basically uh franco morbidelli was pretty much the only rider left uh who um uh did not have a uh contract directly with the with with the factory the rest of them pretty much do um uh, so yes they want to be able to control this um i think the the problem for sam lowes is that uh, you know the if the patronus deal is about having bringing up young, young talent uh, you know, Sam is what thirty, I think. Um, uh, it, it, you can't really make the case for him being a, a young talent anymore, even though you know it, quite clearly he deserves it much, much more than um, uh, than Jake Dixon at the moment. Because you know Sam Lowe's is still more or less in the in the championship race and is winning races and 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 battling for podiums week in week out. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a tricky one. That is. Well, let's move on to actually talk about the action on track this weekend because Adam we saw the front four were just a class apart and we could easily have had it where any of them were able to take any of the podium spots but Raul Fernandez just seemed to have that little bit of a step at the end of the race yeah that's right Steve I think he was he'd shown he had the dominant speed uh, throughout the weekend um, and you could say that was a perfect reply from the mistake he made at Saxon Ring um, so, you know, in, in, again, in terms of the rookie learning and showing his potential, you know, Fernandez made another step. Uh, it was telling for me that Gardner managed to come through to, to snatch a second place uh, at the end. I think that's the fourth time now those teammates have been on the podium one, two together from nine rounds. I mean, that's that's a fantastic record. Um, you know, I think I jokingly said it was kind of McLaren, you know, the 80s-esque um, you know, in terms of the results and the dominance these guys are having on Moto2. Um, and it really is emerging into a place where, one, Remy Gardner is looking more and more like a world champion every race we go on. And two, it's a real battle for the third place on the podium. Um, you know, I don't think that's an exaggeration. You know, the statistics bear out and also the speed. And now Rebel KTM IO have a little bit of that momentum and status where, People are going onto the track thinking, right, we need to beat these guys. That's that's the first priority. It's not a case of, okay, I need to beat everybody. It's more those orange bikes. What are we going to do about those orange bikes at the front? And David, obviously enough, we saw, again, like Adam said, that uh, ride from Gardner really impressive. But I thought what was probably most impressive about it was he didn't look fast all weekend. He looked like he was struggling. And then suddenly he needed to put in a good lap in qualifying. He did that. He needed to put in a good race and he did that. He looks 
like Adam said, the complete package right now. Yeah, I mean, I was just uh, uh, checking his results from the uh, from the past season because um, I was thinking, you know what, this is a bit. Um, uh, it, it's a little bit Mark Marcus 2019, and it is. Um, uh, if you look at it, his worst result is fourth. Um, he's had one third, and the rest he's either been first or second. Uh, that is just really, really strong. And like you say, um, he's winning this because he's doing. He's getting the most out of the package on his bad days, you know, like to finish second on a bad weekend is really, really impressive. And it was it was an interesting race in that it sort of ebbed and flowed. It, it wasn't just, uh, you know, someone gets, on, what we've seen previously in Moto2 races is, you know, someone gets away uh, uh, and disappears or, you know, a couple of riders uh, get away and and, and battle towards, uh, towards the end. But this th- this race ebbed and flowed. It looked like, uh, you know, it looked like Sam Lowe's might have it. It looked like Augusta Fernandez like might have it uh, uh Raul Fernandez came through Remy uh, Remy Gardner came through it really there were there were real changes as the race went on and that was that was what made it you know an interesting spectacle I mean some people might think you know Moto2 it could be coming quite predictable or somewhat stayed you know with the same two riders largely in the top three but I think it misses the point because there's a real fascinating narrative building there. Uh, Remy Gardner has shown that he can be adaptable and mature, uh, but then, you know, in the second half of the season with nine races to go, he's going to have to deal with the pressure of the clock and the races ticking down. Um, Fernandez has shown as a rookie, obviously, that he's more likely to make a mistake, whether it's cooking his tires a little bit too early in Mugello or the crash at Saxon Ring. Um, but if Fernandez goes on a little bit of a tear and takes two to three race wins in the next four to five races, then Gardner's going to find his points total going down. How does he deal with that? Um, you know, like you said, Dave, look in his past results. He's, he's shown himself to be a rider that's somewhat impetuous, uh, maybe even hot headed. Um, you know, we've seen a complete flip in his character and his race approach in 2021. I just wonder how that how much that will be tested, um, you know, most of all by his teammate. To be honest, though, the reason for that as well is he hasn't been on a best team on the grid before. He's always been on a team that struggled. He's always been on a, a bike and package that would be really good one week, maybe good the next week, and then nowhere the following week. Whereas what we're seeing again in Moto2 this year is the IO squad, the VDS squad, they've separated themselves again. This is what we've seen at different times in the past. The top two teams in, in the paddock, top two teams in the class, just have that ability week in, week out to be able to get the bike to work. And that's why they're at the front every week. And that's why you know we've seen great results from from you know three of those four riders all the way through the season. And now we've got Fernandez making a step on the second BDS bike as well. And they've just got that margin on everyone else. And that includes the likes of Bezeki. Dave, you were mentioning earlier on about Bezeki's performances. They've been good, but they've just been that half step behind. Yes, exactly that. I mean, yeah, looking at Bezeki's uh, results, yeah, sure, he's got a couple of podiums. What is it? One, uh, four podiums, I think. Um, and he is he is still third in the championship. Um, uh, his superpower, if you like, is the fact that he can finish. But he, uh, you know, he, he doesn't look like he's ever going, or he, he doesn't look like he's going to be. He's going to win races. Um, you know, a good weekend for him is 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 second rather than you know winning. Uh, a bad even you know on his bad weekends he's still only he's still coming in sort of fifth which is what you need to do it's sort of you know scoring the points but it's um it feels like he's hitting a ceiling you know he's hit his ceiling and he can't go beyond it and that i think is a uh it's a slightly worrying sign but 
as you say, w- what's interesting about this season in Moto Two is you are seeing this, the the value of a team. I mean, you know, the 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 IO team and the Mark VDS team have the best riders this year, uh, uh, arguably, with Bezeki in Sky. You know, those those three teams are are, are the best uh, the, the 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 best teams, uh, the best funded teams, and the uh, and have the best riders, and they and they're doing well. And uh, especially in terms of IO, you know, it's a really good team. It's really well run. Um, it has the two strongest riders this year, and that is just an absolutely unbeatable combination. Yeah, we're going to take a break on the Paddock Pass podcast, fueled by Elfmark VDS Racing. And uh, during the break, we're going to hear from Michael Laverty on his thoughts on the Moto Two and Moto Three classes. Moto Three looked a little bit different this week. I think the speed up front of the group with Foggia having the, the fastest bike, essentially, but also, I think, Garcia, Fanati, everyone was pushing quite hard, and it made it difficult for the likes of Gabri Rodrigo, Alcoba. There was a few that kind of dropped out of the group that didn't quite have the pace to, to hang in there at the front. So I was particularly impressed with uh, Acosta, again, bouncing back from that massive crash and coming out of spending overnight in hospital. And um, it seemed like it didn't negatively affect him too much in the race he was in there fighting. But again... <clears throat> Impressed with Fajia's riding, but really impressed with the speed of that Leopard bike and its ability to to not even be slipstreamed through that Hogahida section of the racetrack and the run to the flag there. It was it was easy for him to sit at the head of the pack and not get attacked. I thought probably the best rider in that league group was Sergio Garcia. He was he was clean, he was decisive, aggressive when he needed to be, but just second on the podium on the day but I thought how he rode was was really impressive he for me has matured this year a lot he had a difficult time in the Estrella Galizia squad last year in his second year and now moving to the Aspar squad is the championship winning team from last year but he's had to adapt to the the gas gas to the KTM chassis to how it it kind of works and and it is that different riding style but he looks good Uh, Fanati had the speed and the aggression that we want to see from him every single week and um, just kind of got in the wrong place at the wrong time. He did get to the head of the field just with a couple of laps to go, and I thought he positioned himself just well, but another podium for Romano, so he's got to be happy with that. For the the uh, Patronus duo, I think uh, both John and Darren were slightly disappointed in the last couple of laps. It just looked like they were struggling to match that lead group of, uh, of well, mainly the, the, the KTMs versus Foggia. They just seemed to have a bit more punch and, and um, made life difficult for those two. And um, and Suzuki, so they just lost touch a little bit for the podium fight, and then Darren obviously touching the green twice in the last lap lost those positions. So, yeah, he's um, he didn't seem a happy bunny after it, but it, it is those uh, those track limits. They're there's it's the same for everyone, but it is frustrating whenever they catch you out in the very last lap. For Moto Two, actually, I think that was Ralph Fernandez's best race we've seen from him yet. Just the the aggression throughout, the ability to come through the pack after those mistakes didn't get flustered, didn't make any further mistakes. He was really clean, really concise with his overtakes, got to the front and then put a gap into Remy. So another one-two for the AOKTM duo. They are really on form this year. And I do, it leads me to believe that they've found something with the, the kind of base package from the Calyx that just keeps them a little bit above the rest because the, the Mark BDS duo of both Sam and Augusto were right there matching them throughout the race. But again, when it goes to those later laps, it just looked like the AO duo were a little bit stronger and um uh, remy again so super consistent in terms of his championship challenge but um but ralph on the day that youthful exuberance and that ability to to push the front so hard but 
still keep the tire on them right at the, right at the end of the race. So um, yeah, impressive stuff. And it was good to see Sam leading the the race again this week. Got to the front early, some really clean passes and, and aggressive passes. Not the best to start again to the run to turn one, but then really clean on his overtakes. Got to the head of the field and set a really strong pace, but just got attacked at the wrong time and um, for him didn't end up on the podium, which I guess he'd be a little bit disappointed given his speed throughout the weekend. But it's been a tough couple of rounds, so for me, going into the summer break, that was a good, solid finish for Sam. And, and um, got a bit of work to do to kind of claw back Remy's championship cushion he's built up now, but you never know in racing, so Sam's just got to try and find that form he had last summer. And um, he could well go on a run, and then it, that puts the pressure on the the Aki Ao boys. So, um, yeah, Moto2's far from done, but I think it was uh, it was that was probably the best Moto2 race I've seen so far this season. There was a lot of good scraps, good hard overtakes, and even down in the pack watching Ayogura's progression this year, he's gone definitely the the second in terms of rookie um, Moto2 riders. Ralph Fernandez has definitely outperformed them all clearly, but uh, what Ai's doing, I think in year one in Moto2 is a very commendable effort. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast fueled by Elfmark VDS Racing. And Neil, you're back on the pod as well. We've had a bit of a dodgy connection for you. But uh, when you look at the, the Moto2 race, obviously we've talked about the top four in the class and or the top four in the Dutch TT really separating themselves. Bezeki a little step behind. But what way do you see it now going in the Moto2 class? Because obviously a five-week break, it gives people time to recover from injuries. It gives time for riders and teams to just look through the data and try and find a solution to some of the problems they've been having. Uh, yeah, I think you have to look at the the IO boys and think that the, the form that they've been in. It's going to be really tough to beat them. Um, certainly over the championship, um, you would expect maybe Bezeki to make a bit of a step forward, um, and the likes of someone like Augusto Fernandez, who was strong again in Aston. I mean, I think we could expect to see him again sometime soon um, at the front. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, I think um, the names that we've seen kind of consistently at the front uh, so far this season, I think they're going to be tough to. Tough to overhaul. Just before we move on to talk about Moto3, Neil, you mentioned Augusto Fernandez there. We've already said change crew chief a few rounds ago. That seems to have really reinvigorated him. But talent's never going to be a question for him. We've seen him have some great performances at different times in the past. But we've also seen it where Aston's always been a really strong track for him. That's where going on to the Red Bull ring next is going to be really important for him to really maintain that momentum. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Augusto yeah, changed the uh, crew chiefs at the start of the season. Um, was kind of back and forth between different chassis and looked a bit lost in, in Qatar. Um, but I think really from Jerez, um, he's been he's been strong. He's made a couple of mistakes at the start of races, um, and then as a result of that, as a consequence, he's had to sort of try and ride within himself to see the finish. Um, but yeah, I think the speed's been there for the last couple of races. And um, Aston, as you say, has always been a good track for him. 2019 was his first victory in Grand Prix there. So um, yeah, so it was it was a Somewhere where you expected him to go well, but he still he rode well and yeah, first podium in what well, I think nearly a year and a half. In fact, nearly a year and three quarters. Uh, September nineteenth was the last time he was on the podium. So yeah, it's good to see him back up there, and because he is one of the fastest guys in this class, but we just haven't seen so much evidence of that recently. Yeah, obviously enough as well, Neil. The rider market falls into place for Moto Two after Moto GP, but we've already seen Aaron Cannot. He's going to move to the Pons team next year, and you'd expect to see some dominoes fall into place over the next while, particularly riders potentially stepping up from the Moto Three class. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a whole host of Moto Three names looking to looking to step up. Um, 
we're hearing that Pedro Acosta um, should be confirmed in IO's Model 2 team next year. That was being reported in Marca, Spanish sports paper, at the start of this week by Jaime Martin, who's very reliable um, with Spanish news. So that's another kind of jigsaw piece that's fallen into place. Um, yeah, Canada, I've heard rumors over the last couple of weeks that he's just got a bit sick of, of the speed up. Uh, the Bosque Scuro chassis um, being kind of inconsistent, and he felt that he just needed to get himself on the Calyx. Cedar Ponce's team is obviously going through a tough time with Garzo um, and Fennel Manzi this year. I mean, they're not really pulling up any trees, and Cedar Ponce's team is one which you expect to be running at the front of the class challenges for championships. So, um, yeah, I think the Canet move is, is good for all involved. Yeah, the the it, it's not surprising that people want to get off the speed up chassis. The speed up chassis can work really, really well, but if you can't quite fight, get there, um, it's a very finicky uh, bike. You know, if you can't quite get there, then you are you know no, well, not exactly nowhere, but it's a real struggle to actually compete. Um, uh, it's very stiff. It's very uh it, yeah it, there's no the the performance window is very very narrow so you it's you're either on it or you're not and that can be frustrating adam obviously we're going to move on to talk about model three now as well and this is an opportunity for you to talk about your favorite rider in the whole paddock romano Fanati, who was up at the front again this weekend is he going to be able to win a race this year right this is a popular misconception, Steve. I don't understand why I've been such a, aligned with Romano. In fact, he kind of scares me. And let's, you know, let's, I mean, he was one of the talking points in Moto3 from, you know, clearly not having his anger issues under control uh, from Friday uh, and incurring a double long lap penalty after warring with his teammate, um, you know, Ralph Fernandez's brother. Uh, you know, to, to to completing those penalties. I mean, was it me or did the long lap in Aston look particularly generous? It wasn't so much of a penalty, I thought. Uh, you know, for Fanati to do it twice and still be able to come back. Okay, admittedly, his corner speed was quite fantastic, you know, at the TT circuit Aston. But, uh, you know, I thought, you know, in terms of penalties, having to do that twice and still be in, in contention for the lead. I mean, he cooked his rear tyre by the end of the race, so he couldn't quite push up to fight Foggia. But uh, it, w- it was a hell of a race, really, um, on Biaggi's 50th birthday. Um, I still can't get over the blend of characters of Max Biaggi and Romano Fanata in the same team. Um, you know, I'm not surprised that that team can post two podium results and then go to warring with each other in the pits and other bizarre, you know, occurrences going through the season. Um, it's, it's a strange pot over there at Husqvarna. Neil, obviously enough, we've managed to do really well. We've gotten a half an hour into a podcast about a race in Aston. We haven't mentioned the cathedral at one at, at all, not even just to annoy Adam. But uh, what we what we saw from Fanati was a little bit of of a miracle as well, because that recovery ride was impressive. We don't tend to see that in Moto Three. But I wanted to ask you whether or not that was actually the case, because the field stretched out an awful lot more this weekend. You had the opportunity of latching onto the back of the group like Fanati did after taking the long lap penalties, and then try and recover your way back to the front and then lose that ground again. It wasn't quite as severe as what we've seen in other races where maybe you go and you lose 15 spots by taking a long lap penalty. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, I think Dennis Fodger has a lot to do with that just because he was the fastest guy over the weekend um, and uh, had the speed throughout basically and was able to stretch that group apart. I mean, by the end, it was only really Garcia and, and Fanati that was able to run with him. Um, so, so yeah, it was um, it was quite nice, quite refreshing actually to see a race being sort of dictated by one guy at the front and everyone else sort of 
struggling to stay with them at first. It was only like seven guys, and then that was whittled down in the last couple of laps to three. Um, and yeah, you have to take your hat off to Fodger because he didn't make one mistake in those final laps, despite Garcia Alfinati trying to put him under the most severe pressure. Um, but he kind of stayed strong. And hey, look, this is four races now that Fodger has actually been up at, up at the front. He's had three podiums in the last uh, four races. Um, he was obviously in the leading group in Barcelona when he was taken on in the last lap. So there's maybe a little suggestion here that uh, Fodger is finally finds in some consistency which has been so blatantly lacking from his game um, in yeah, Neil, we saw his Leopard teammate as well, Xavi Ortigas, up at the front as well through this weekend. So clearly the, the Leopard bikes worked really well this weekend. And the team, we know that they can put out a really good bike week in, week out. Maybe now is the time whenever they're really able to take advantage of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Foggy was just saying that basically they've, they've been working with the team, working on like new setups because KTM have obviously come into this year so strongly um, across the you know, winning so so frequently and the likes of Garcia and, uh, and Massey also um, doing well. So, um, yeah, I think um, Fodge is a name that maybe he's a bit too far back in the championship to have a say in it. But, um, I mean, I tipped him for being a, a contender this year. Everything is in place for him to be a contender. Um, so, yeah, you would expect him to be um, at the front more frequently next uh, in the season second half. I do like the thoughts of any rider at the end of the season. I could have been a contender. But uh, David, obviously enough for all the, the Moto3 riders, this was this was a really important weekend because this was a weekend where the field did stretch out. This wasn't a big pack race. It wasn't some of the dangerous races we've seen at times through the course of this season. But at the end of the race, we did still see track limits penalties coming into effect. We saw Darren Binder very, very obviously upset about his penalty. And, you know, it's one of those situations where we're still getting to the end of races with that question mark being hanging over riders. Uh, yes, but it's much easier when it's... Uh, I mean, what I liked about this race was um, you can slipstream at Assen, but you have to work at it. You can also get away from riders. Uh, so the, the rider actually makes a difference. That was the, the that was what was so good about the Moto3 race. Um, uh, I think that um, you still have the problem in Moto3 if, is of having to carry as much corner speed as possible. Uh, and you're still going to end up sort of you're just touching the green. And the basic problem is still that if you get, you know, even sort of a couple of millimeters is over the uh, over the edge of the the curb and, and, and touch the green, then you you're going to get a penalty. So yeah, I, I, it was unfortunate for Binder. Those are the rules, but um, yeah, it was very unfortunate uh, uh, for Binder. But um, yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd just like to say I thought it was an outstanding race for Sergio Garcia as well. I think Sergio Garcia is really the, the you know in the, in the last few races has really been impressive. Yeah, Garcia has done a really good job this year. Obviously, he fits in nicely with the team, Adam. But let's just talk quickly about Pedro Acosta as well. Obviously, championship leader, big crash Saturday morning, had to sit out qualifying, went to hospital, had an overnight stay in hospital as well, gets released in the morning, comes back and has a really impressive ride from 18th on the grid into the top five. Yeah, sometimes you can't always see it. But at the moment, I'd say for any young rider out there, just watch what Acosta is doing in the first phases of the races and the, the way he gains ground, uh, the way he's finding space to make overtaking maneuvers, the way he's handling the motorcycle and just, you know, been able to change lines and, you know, manipulate his his, his trajectory at will. It's a big lesson. I mean, uh, just to, sorry, guys, use a, a football analogy. Um, you know, one of the best You don't ways have to apologize to me and Neil about that. That's literally just an apology to Dave. <laughs> oh sorry sorry dave 
Um, one of the best ways literally to learn is to watch real masters at work in, in, in the flesh. Of course, it's obviously difficult for fans at races at the moment, but you know, what they're doing on the pitch, the way they're using space, the way they're thinking, moving, adapting to current situations, making choices all the time. Acosta's the same thing. I mean, we're talking Moto3, we're talking Grand Prix, we're talking a very high level. So a lot of the guys, you know, Alcoba, you know, Artigas, uh, Guevara, pick any of those names. Um, they're all like on, on a supreme level, but what Acosta is doing is clearly making a difference so um you know he may only be 16 years old or 17 sorry um so i i would say just just watch watch for an education watching a master at work and you learn from it it was really unfortunate actually whenever i turned up to the paddock i went looking for advice from dave on the first day and yeah I don't know, that didn't work out too well uh neil obviously enough we mentioned aaron binder pretty quickly there but uh binder you're going to see him moving on to a moto 2 bike next year he's one of those riders that will step up Will he step up with the Patronus team or is there anyone else that's really been linked to taking him on? Yeah, it looks that way. Um, yeah, the rumour has it that, uh, that Darren will be stepping up with, uh, with Patronus next year. I think that was um, part, of the, part of the deal when he signed um, for their Model 2, sorry, for their Model 3 team um, midway through last year. Um, so yeah, you would expect Darren to go up. Um, McPhee was kind of someone that had a deal like that uh, the previous year, but that didn't uh, exactly pay off and he still seems to be carrying some frustration over the fact that he's not in Model 2 at the moment. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, certainly the whispers coming out of Aston was Darren will be confirmed with uh, Patronus Model 2 pretty soon. Obviously enough, we'll be taking a little bit of a summer break on the Paddockcast podcast, but the content's still going to be rolling out all the way through. We've got plenty of interviews planned. We've got uh, Neil sat down with Remy Gardner a couple of weeks ago just to be able to get some updates on the Australian's future. We're going to have plenty of other interviews as well, some superbike shows and uh, we're going to be able to try and keep things nice and busy. But Adam, obviously for you, you're just trying to make sure that you're able to keep yourself free over the next while so that you can watch the football. That's right, Steve. Tuesday, uh, is it Tuesday? No, Saturday evening. I will be um, largely offline. So, And then, you know, of course, if we manage to lose to the Ukraine, then I'll be offline for a substantial amount of time afterwards as well. Um, but, you know, I'll be in the heart of Lago Maggiore for, uh, you know, MSGB's return to that famous iconic racetrack. So, uh, and it's supposed to be thundery weather, so I'm not really liking the forecast at the moment. But, um, you know, MotoGP breaks for five weeks, but uh, motocross continues at pace and, of course, Superbike. And it's good to see you looking so splendid in that red and white official shirt, Steve. It's uh, very fetching. It does, it makes your eyes come out. I'll tell you what, it matches my sunburn very well. And, uh, David, obviously, Adam's been talking about something coming home an awful lot, but you actually had uh, your good wife come home as well there after a while on the road with work. So uh, you've obviously got a busy couple of weeks planned now during the, the summer break. You've got most of your deadline work finished and now you're able to actually enjoy a couple of weeks off. Uh, yes, indeed. Now um, uh, now I can actually go and um, ride motorbikes, um, including uh, looking at some new motorbikes. But uh, we shall have to wait and see how that all uh, pans out. And um, yeah, uh, looking forward to having some time out. I might pop up to uh, see you uh, when you come over to Aston Steve for World Supers. And I might even go down to Oss to see... Um, my good friend Mr. Wheeler for it at MXGP, but uh, we shall have to wait and see how that works out. Neil, obviously enough, you're just on your on your travels back from Aston at this stage, but uh, it's still going to be uh, good to get a few weeks off after what's been a very busy start to the year for you. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. Yeah, I think uh, Matt obviously sums it up quite nicely with a little tweet uh, on Sunday night where he said, MotoGP fans contemplating five weeks off is uh, crying emoji, but uh, people working in MotoGP with five weeks off is, uh, you know, beer and uh, cocktail and whiskey emoji. So, uh, yeah, um, I wouldn't be following that to the exact letter, 
off the law as um, my Oxley book, but um, yeah, good chance to just uh, unwind. Yeah, I have to say it's quite interesting that the MotoGP summer break is a lot longer than the Superbike summer break. And for some reason, the MotoGP paddock don't seem to be complaining about that. You know, there's none of the jokes about a long summer break coming whenever it's actually you that's able to take advantage of it. We're going to be busy with the Superbikes, obviously, Donington this weekend. So myself and Gordo will record a pod after this weekend's race. And uh, hopefully we're able to see just a continuation of what we've seen up to this point so far in the season. So keep your eyes on the channels where you get the podcast and you'll be able to see some updates over the course of the next couple of weeks so from myself steve english david emmett neil morrison adam wheeler and all of the team on the panic pass podcast a big thank you to you for listening to today's show this episode of the paddock pass podcast was produced by jensen beeler david emmett steve english neil morrison and adam wheeler it was edited by brian burnett music is provided by the liberties all inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com